of Matthew chapter 27 is one of the most peculiar events in Scripture. We only find this story in Matthew's account. Chief priests and Pharisees concerned that the disciples might rob Jesus' grave and stage a resurrection and plead with Pilate to secure the tomb. The more I've considered the story, the more I wish the Monty Python boys had done a skit about this. Pilate, we'd like you to seal the tomb. Whose tomb? You know, Jesus' tomb. Why, I thought we killed him. We did kill him. Then what are you worried about? Well, his disciples said he was going to be raised from the dead. Ah, yes, his disciples. What? You mean the group of stooges who deserted him and fled? Yes, they, they might steal his body and tell everyone he's raised from the dead. Are we talking about the same disciples? Well, you know, they're very sneaky, those disciples. Very well. Security! This, by the way, is funnier if you have an English accent. Even funnier if you're John Cleese. Scholars are of one mind, but Matthew includes this account because grave robbing was typical of the time. It would be a shame if people dismissed the resurrection due to unfounded rumors of a common crime. One scholar notes that several years after all these events, Emperor Claudius actually posted a notice in Nazareth against grave robbing, possibly as a result of debates among the Jews about what actually happened to Jesus' body. We can spend all morning speculating about why Matthew relays this story, but I find typical arguments about Matthew's concern about grave-robbing rumors, well, just part of the story. What strikes me as more compelling is what Matthew is teaching us about security. Just look at how worried the authorities are about securing their power. Religious elites who despise the Roman occupation are now in cahoots with the Roman occupation, its governor, Pilate, to keep the world just the way it is. They have learned nothing, it seems, in the last 24 hours, and to say nothing of the last several years of Jesus' ministry about the power of God. Just the day before, darkness had covered the whole face of the earth from noon until three, just about the whole afternoon. And had they not noticed the giant curtain in the temple ripped in half from top to bottom, the accompanying, the accompanying earthquake, and the splitting rocks that just happened to coincide with the moment of Jesus' death? Not to mention... All the tombs around Jerusalem opening up, and as the scripture says, many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. You know, I believe the, the chief priests and the Pharisees were smarter than that. 
I believe they were paying close attention to the events of the day. Really, how could you be awake and miss any of these apocalyptic phenomena? I've actually been awake for an earthquake before in Richmond, Virginia, of all places. Not exactly a hot spot for tectonic activity, but there was once a minor earthquake when I was a student there. It sounded like a bomb going off two blocks away. The building shook. You couldn't miss it if you had been asleep. What would their sealing the tomb even mean? Well, consider this. Their act of sealing the tomb is not to make the seal airtight. It's not done with cement and bricks, but with clay and rope. The seal and guards are there not to make sure the stone can't be rolled away, but to make sure the stone can't be rolled away without detection. If grave robbers were to come now, they would roll the stone away, but they would leave evidence that they had compromised the tomb from the outside. Then again, if they seal the tomb and Jesus is risen and breaks the seal, Jesus would have broken Roman law. <laughs> and then, as strange as that sounds, they would be able to charge risen Jesus for treason, just as they did in his mortal state. The chief priests and Pharisees, smart guys, they really have all the scenarios covered, they think. All the same, I wonder if the authorities aren't trying to prevent the disciples from performing some deceptive hijinks. Maybe that's just to cover for their, their real motives, though. Maybe, just maybe, after all the signs and wonders they've seen, these authorities really are worried that Jesus will be raised from the dead. And everything they've said about him, everything they've done to suppress and sabotage and persecute him will be exposed. And their entire interpretation of scripture and history and their formerly solid worldview and their secure, comfortable way of life will be revealed as a sham. Here is what worldly security looks like. Worldly security seals, ties, fastens, locks. Worldly security puts up fences, walls, gates. Worldly security lines the building with wires and sensors, cameras and surveillance tape. Worldly security, according to Steve Hostetter, takes your bottle of liquid at the airport and throws it away in case it's a bomb in the garbage can right next to them with all the other possible bombs in the area with the most amount of people in case it's a bomb. Worldly security stockpiles guns and ammunition and military might. All this time, you know, we really could have used some more face masks. Worldly security asks, who can kill the body? But does not consider the question that Jesus teaches us to ask earlier in Matthew. What might kill our souls? How secure 
has worldly security made us now? It's not just the chief priests and the Pharisees who call for security in a crisis, though, is it? It's really, it's really all of us. From the first Palm Sunday to the present day, we mere mortals band together to make the common plea, Hosanna to the Son of David, which means save us now, help, security, We wave palm branches as we would sheets out of the open window of a burning building. Save us. In response to our genuine pleas, the good news is that God sends us exactly the help that God knows we need. He sends not a phalanx of centurions, not a battalion of troops, not an encrypted passcode, but a humble Jesus mounted on a donkey. For the war horse, the psalmist says, is a a vain hope for victory, and by its great strength it cannot save. Whoever expected that a grave as secure as the empire could make it would be no match for the one who comes to save us on the foal of a donkey. Then again, the scene ends with just as much humor as it begins. Don't worry, I won't subject you again to a Monty Python skit. But just to point out what Pilate says in response to the religious authorities' request. He says, all right, fellas, go on then. Make it as secure as you can. Make it as secure as you know how. Go, seal up the power of God as best you know how. Go, fasten the rope around death's potential defeat as well as you can. What do you fellows know about security? Go cork that tomb now. And I don't want to see you guys again for three days. How secure are any of us, really? Quite secure already, I declare. I proclaim the good news to you today. And to all who might be listening, we have already been saved. When were you saved? When was I saved? We've been saved. We were saved in 33 AD on the cross, down from which they've taken Jesus' body and thrown him in this sealed tomb. Truly, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love, the psalmist says, to deliver their soul from death and to keep them alive in famine. Our soul waits for the Lord, the psalmist says again. And he who comes on the foal of a donkey, he is our security. He is our strength and shield. The chapter ends with the men scurrying off 
to seal the tomb, which they do. But I want to tell you, you're going to have to wait until Easter morning to find out what happens to them and their seal. Don't read ahead. Don't you do it. I'm preaching on the very next verses next Sunday. Don't spoil the surprise, but I'll give you a hint. They go, and they do seal the tomb. And I'll tell you this, just this much. They tried as best they could. 